Section 15. Work for the Out of Works. The Factory. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. The foregoing, it will be said, is all very well for your outcast when he has got fourpence in his pocket. But what if he has not got his fourpence? What if you are confronted with a crowd of hungry, desperate wretches without even a penny in their pouch, demanding food and shelter? This objection is natural enough, and has been duly considered from the first. I propose to establish, in connection with every food and shelter depot, a workshop or labor yard in which any person who comes destitute and starving will be supplied with sufficient work to enable him to earn the fourpence needed for his bed and board. This is a fundamental feature of the scheme, and one which I think will commend it to all those who are anxious to benefit the poor by enabling them to help themselves, without the demoralizing intervention of charitable relief. Let us take our stand for a moment at the door of one of our shelters. There comes along a grimy, ragged, footsore tramp, his feet bursting out from the sides of his shoes, his clothes all rags, with filthy shirt and tousled hair. He has been, he tells you, on the tramp for the last three weeks, seeking work and finding none, slept last night on the embankment, and wants to know if you can give him a bite and a sup, and shelter for the night. Has he any money? Not he. He probably spent the last penny he begged or earned in a pipe of tobacco with which to dull the cravings of his hungry stomach. What are you to do with this man? Remember, this is no fancy sketch. It is a typical case. There are hundreds and thousands of such applicants. Anyone who is at all familiar with life in London and our other large towns will recognize that gaunt figure standing there asking for bread and shelter, or for work by which he can obtain both. What can we do with him? Before him, society stands paralyzed quieting its conscience every now and then by an occasional dole of bread and soup, varied with the semi-criminal treatment of the casual ward, until the manhood is crushed out of the man, and you have in your hands a reckless, despairing, spirit-broken creature, with not even an aspiration to rise above his miserable circumstances, covered with vermin and filth, sinking ever lower and lower until at last he is hurried out of sight in the rough shell which carries him to a pauper's grave. I propose to take that man, put a strong arm around him, and extricate him from the mire in which he is all but suffocated. As a first step we will say to him, You are hungry. Here is food. You are homeless. Here is a shelter for your head. But remember, you must work for your rations. This is not charity. It is work for the workless. Help for those who cannot help themselves. There is the labor shed. Go and earn your fourpence. And then come in out of the cold and wet into the warm shelter, 
Here is your mug of coffee and your great chunk of bread, and after you have finished these, there is a meeting going on in full swing with its joyful music and hearty human intercourse. There are those who pray for you and with you, and will make you feel yourself a brother among men. There is your shakedown on the floor, where you will have your warm, quiet bed, undisturbed by the ribaldry and curses with which you have been familiar too long. There is the wash-house, where you can have a thorough wash-up at last, after all these days of unwashedness. There is plenty of soap and warm water and clean towels. There, too, you can wash your shirt and have it dried while you sleep. In the morning, when you get up, there will be breakfast for you, and your shirt will be dry and clean. Then, when you are washed and rested, and are no longer faint with hunger, you can go and seek a job, or go back to the labor shop until something better turns up. But where and how? Now let me introduce you to our labor yard. Here is no pretense of charity beyond the charity which gives a man remunerative labor. It is not our business to pay men wages. What we propose is to enable those, male or female, who are destitute, to earn their rations and do enough work to pay for their lodging until they are able to go out into the world and earn wages for themselves. There is no compulsion upon anyone to resort to our shelter. But if a penniless man wants food, he must, as a rule, do work sufficient to pay for what he has of that and of other accommodation. I say as a rule, because of course our officers will be allowed to make exceptions in extreme cases. But the rule will be first work, then eat, and that amount of work will be exacted rigorously. It is that which distinguishes this scheme from mere charitable relief. I do not wish to have any hand in establishing a new center of demoralization. I do not want my customers to be pauperized by being treated to anything which they do not earn. To develop self-respect in the man, to make him feel that at last he has got his foot planted on the first rung of the ladder which leads upwards, is vitally important. And this cannot be done unless the bargain between him and me is strictly carried out. So much coffee, so much bread, so much shelter, so much warmth and light from me, but so much labor in return from him. What labor, it is asked. For answer to this question, I would like to take you down to our industrial workshops in Whitechapel. There you will see the scheme in experimental operation. What we are doing there we propose to do everywhere, up to the extent of the necessity, and there is no reason why we should fail elsewhere if we can succeed there. Our industrial factory at Whitechapel was established this spring. We opened it on a very small scale. It was developed until we have nearly 90 men at work. Some of these are skilled workmen who are engaged in carpentry. The particular job they have now in hand is the making of benches for the Salvation Army. Others are engaged in mat-making. Some are cobblers, others painters, and so forth. 
this trial effort has so far answered admirably. No one who is taken on comes for a permanency. So long as he is willing to work for his rations, he is supplied with materials and provided with skilled superintendents. The hours of work are eight per day. Here are the rules and regulations under which the work is carried on at present. The Salvation Army Social Reform Wing Temporary Headquarters, 36 Upper Thames Street, London, E.C. City Industrial Workshops Objects These workshops are open for the relief of the unemployed and destitute, the object being to make it unnecessary for the homeless or workless to be compelled to go to the workhouse or casual ward, food and shelter being provided for them in exchange for work done by them until they can procure work for themselves, or it can be found for them elsewhere. Plan of Operation All those applying for assistance will be placed in what is termed the first class. They must be willing to do any kind of work allotted to them. While they remain in the first class, they shall be entitled to three meals a day and shelter for the night, and will be expected in return to cheerfully perform the work allotted to them. Promotions will be made from this first class to the second class of all those considered eligible by the labor directors. They will, in addition to the food and shelter above mentioned, receive sums of money up to five shillings at the end of the week for the purpose of assisting them to provide themselves with tools to get work outside. Regulations no smoking, drinking, bad language, or conduct calculated to demoralize will be permitted on the factory premises. No one under the influence of drink will be admitted. Anyone refusing to work or guilty of bad conduct will be required to leave the premises. Hours of work, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., 2 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Doors will be closed five minutes after 7, 9, and 2 p.m. Food checks will be given to all as they pass out at each mealtime. Meals and shelter provided at 272 Whitechapel Road. Our practical experience shows that we can provide work by which a man can earn his rations. We shall be careful not to sell the goods so manufactured at less than the market prices. In firewood, for instance, we have endeavored to be rather above the average than below it. As stated elsewhere, we are firmly opposed to injuring one class of workmen while helping another. Attempts on somewhat similar lines to those now being described have hitherto excited the liveliest feelings of jealousy on the part of the trade unions and representatives of labor. They rightly consider it unfair that labor partly paid for out of the rates and taxes, or by charitable contributions, should be put upon the market at less than market value, and so compete unjustly with the production of those who have in the first instance to furnish an important quota of the funds by which these criminal or pauper workers are supported. 
No such jealousy can justly exist in relation to our scheme, seeing that we are endeavoring to raise the standard of labor and are pledged to a war to the death against sweating in every shape and form. But it will be asked, how do these out-of-works conduct themselves when you get them into the factory? Upon this point I have a very satisfactory report to render. Many, no doubt, are below par, underfed and suffering from ill health, or the consequence of their intemperance. Many also are old men, who have been crowded out of the labor market by their younger generation. But without making too many allowances on these grounds, I may fairly say that these men have shown themselves not only anxious and willing, but able to work. Our factory superintendent reports, of loss or time, there has practically been none since the opening, June 29th. Each man during his stay, with hardly an exception, has presented himself punctually at opening time and worked more or less assiduously the whole of the labor hours. The morals of the men have been good. In not more than three instances has there been an overt act of disobedience, insubordination, or mischief. The men, as a whole, are uniformly civil, willing, and satisfied. They are all fairly industrious. Some, and that not a few, are assiduous and energetic. The foremen have had no serious complaints to make or delinquencies to report. On the 15th of August, I had a return made of the names and trades and mode of employment of the men at work. Of the 40 in the shops at that moment, 8 were carpenters, 12 laborers, 2 tailors, 2 sailors, 3 clerks, 2 engineers, while among the rest was a shoemaker, 2 grocers, a cooper, a sailmaker, a musician, a painter, and a stonemason. Nineteen of these were employed in sawing, cutting, and tying up firewood. Six were making mats, seven making sacks, and the rest were employed in various odd jobs. Among them was a Russian carpenter who could not speak a word of English. The whole place is a hive of industry which fills the hearts of those who go to see it with hope that something is about to be done to solve the difficulty of the unemployed. Although our factories will be permanent institutions, they will not be anything more than temporary resting places to those who avail themselves of their advantages. They are harbors of refuge, into which the storm-tossed workman may run and refit, so that he may again push out to the ordinary sea of labor and earn his living. The establishment of these industrial factories seems to be one of the most obvious duties of those who could effectually deal with the social problem. They are as indispensable a link in the chain of deliverance as the shelters. But they are only a link, and not a stopping place. And we do not propose that they should be regarded as anything but stepping stones to better things. 
These shops will also be of service for men and women temporarily unemployed who have families and who possess some sort of home. In numerous instances, if by any means these unfortunates could find bread and rent for a few weeks, they would tide over their difficulties, and an untold amount of misery would be averted. In such cases, work would be supplied at their own homes, where preferred, especially for the women and children, and such remuneration would be aimed at as would supply the immediate necessities of the hour. To those who have rent to pay and families to support, something beyond rations would be indispensable. The labor shops will enable us to work out our anti-sweating experiments. For instance, we propose at once to commence manufacturing matchboxes, for which we shall aim at giving nearly treble the amount at present paid to the poor starving creatures engaged in this work. In all these workshops, our success will depend upon the extent to which we are able to establish and maintain in the minds of the workers sound moral sentiments, and to cultivate a spirit of hopefulness and aspiration. We shall continually seek to impress upon them the fact that while we desire to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and provide shelter for the shelterless, we are still more anxious to bring about that regeneration of heart and life which is essential to their future happiness and well-being but no compulsion will for a moment be allowed with respect to religion. The man who professes to love and serve God will be helped because of such profession, and the man who does not will be helped in the hope that he will, sooner or later, in gratitude to God, do the same. But there will be no melancholy misery-making for any. There is no sanctimonious long face in the army. We talk freely about salvation because it is to us the very light and joy of our existence. We are happy, and we wish others to share our joy. We know by our own experience that life is a very different thing when we have found the peace of God, and we are working together with Him for the salvation of the world instead of toiling for the realization of worldly ambition or the amassing of earthly gain. End of section 15. Recording by Tom Hirsch.